All right, Justin, sing me a revolutionary song. A revolutionary song. Wow. I hate that you did this to me. Uh, what was that song in the in the video game Revolution X? What was the Aerosmith song? Eat the rich, eat the rich. I don't some some I don't know the words. Eat the rich, and I just can't see no evil about your way of life. And something something they break down. It's kind of tight. Eat the rich. There you go. You know what, Justin? That count. Totally not what I was thinking of. 100% fucking works though. Yeah, yeah. Like, especially in nowadays climate. Mm-hmm. That's like an anthem. Yep. I, I can't deny it, Justin. You, you picked a good song. And that, oddly enough, is one of my favorite Aerosmith songs. Yeah, it, it's a very good song. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I, I don't, I used to love that song and I played this shit. Like, I, I played so much Revolutionary Revolution X as a kid. Me, me and a friend, Matthew Vatonka, we would rent it and play on his PlayStation and just play it nonstop over and over again. And if we played through and we missed any of the badges, we would just instantly reset it and start over again if we didn't get the badges, which would sometimes suck when you're like four levels in and you miss that badge. You're like, nope, going back. Yeah, we were completionists with Revolutionary Revolution X. I don't know why I keep saying Revolutionary X. Uh, probably because I said revolutionary song, but yes, Justin, that I will give you two points for that one. That's, yes. that's that, that impressive. That's that impressive. So Heather, Hell your turn. Yeah. You've I've got, never gotten two in history. And that's especially great. me just willingly doing it. Yeah. Especially that must really like that song. I do. It, it, it really fits more than I was expecting any answer from you guys to fit. <laughs> so uh, so Heather, the bar is set really high for you. Yeah, no pressure. I honestly can't think of one. The only thing I could think of was it's like an old Kirk Franklin song. <laughs> and the only words I know are, do you want a revolution? <laughs> That's the only thing I could think of. So I think I probably lose this one. I'll give you a point because revolutions in the title. Thank you. Okay, I'll take it. But it is kind of like a little bitch song. Like nobody's listening you know to that song? song and getting pumped. And wanting to start a revolution. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's a, it's like revolution. an old school sort of gospel song. No, I get it. But no, well, don't the Beatles sing a cover of that? And maybe that's what I'm thinking of. Maybe. If so, I don't think I've heard it. All I know is I know that line from something. And all I know is every time I've heard Possibly. that line, it's done in a very bitch way. And I'm like, who the fuck's starting a revolution after that? That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Kirk Franklin has like super high energy. So it was like a, do you want a revolution? Something like that. That's okay, all I can I remember. I don't know though. who Kurt Franklin is. You're saying that <laughs> like a... that's somebody I would know. <laughs> I'm No, I'm explaining because I know that you don't know who that is. <laughs> I'm just saying. But he's like a, he's like a gospel singer. But yeah, so that's the only thing I could think of. But do I'll you, take my point. Do you know what the fuck she's talking about, Justin? Yes, I actually do know who that is. All right, well, then maybe um, yeah. I'm the I get it. Real popular in the the nineties and maybe like the early two thousands. Yes, I want to say his music was. Really I think that popular. song was like like nineties or something. But um, okay, then that uh, might be a cover of yeah. a Beatles song. Then yeah, maybe because when you said like oh you know like a while ago, I thought literally you were talking like a nineteen fifties song. Now that you're saying nineties, <laughs> oh. no. No, the the it might be a cover of a Beatles song then, because I know I've heard hmm. that lo- that 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 line. 
It's possible. So, it's very possible. But do you guys want to know what the song was that if you named you would have gotten three points from? Oh, What's, yes. What is it? Fuck the police, N.W.A. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> it's this movie. Come yeah. on. Yeah. This, this, that definitely fits for this. Exactly. Yeah. I would have given four points if you said fuck the police, the dope cover. But oh. just because that's the lesser known version. That's the only reason why it's more points is it's lesser known. It's not better. It's not. It's just lesser known. But yes, NWA, fuck the police. If you had said that, you would have gotten three <laughs> points. So. Fair enough. Cool. And on that note, here's our theme song. fans and welcome back to another episode of the cinema slayers podcast i'm sterling didn't fuck it up this time and as always i'm joined by heather and justin and today we are talking about the hbo max and theatrical release and what we liked didn't like and everything in between with it judas and the black messiah but before that we're gonna have a little rant guys we're gonna have a little discussion a little sterling's got to get something off his chest but it ties into what we're talking about because it's for a future HBO mask or HBO max slash theatrical release movie in April or Mar- March or some fucking month that, you know, is later than now. And that would be mortal Kombat because the trailer just dropped today. And I have some thoughts like I fucking give up. I do. I'm tired of ha- getting like my hopes and dreams up for a movie. And then at the first possible chance, they start to hurt me. And in this movie, it'd be when they released the pictures and the plot synopsis of the movie. I was getting hurt. But I was like, you know what? I want to wait for this trailer, though. I want to wait. Because maybe maybe I just don't know how to read properly. Maybe these pictures are misleading. And then this trailer came out. And like I said, fans, I give up. I refuse to have hopes and dreams and aspirations for any movie ever now. Because fuck this trailer. Fuck Warner Brothers. <laughs> fuck NetherRealm Studios. Fuck everything to do with this movie. I almost want to boycott it. I almost want to refuse to acknowledge it even fucking will exist. But that would be a disservice to you guys. Because I have a feeling that when I watch it, I will be angry. And I will have delightful words to say about how bad it is. And I don't want to deprive any of you. Of those glorious, glorious words that will be coming out of my mouth. But seriously, fuck this movie. (laughs) Solely based on the trailer. I mean, you have the story of Mortal Kombat, which inherently has a chosen one in it. Justin, tell everybody the chosen one of Mortal Kombat. Uh, Liu Kang? I don't know why you said that like you didn't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I thought they kind of shipped it to Scorpion, you know. Well, they he kinda, did. Well, he became the protagonist, he, but I guess be, you're right. He became the champion so, of the Elder Gods. But even but, now, but, it, yeah. even in the newest version, in the NetherRealm Studios version of the, the new trilogy from 9, 10, and 11, uh, Luke King's still the chosen one. Okay, so he's always been that person. Okay. Okay. Cool. 
Yeah, I mean, there is the whole thing of him getting killed by Raiden for a little bit. Spoilers for the video games, if you haven't played it, he gets killed by Raiden. He comes back. He's fine. He's all fucking combined with Raiden and an Elder God himself now. Yeah, Luke, like Luke King is a god now in, in, in Mortal Kombat. And I'm not even being like facetious. He is literally a god. And he is the chosen one. We all know this. Everyone knows this. So who the fuck is this Chad guy? Or Kurt? Or who are the fuck? Whatever the fuck his name was. I don't even know his Cole name. Cole Young? Yeah, Cole. Young that's Cole. it. Cole. Fuck you, that Cole. King Cole or whatever his name is. Who the fuck is that? <laughs> Motherfucker coming in with the, oh, I've got a dragon birthmark. Motherfucker, when are you going to look at this birthmark that looks exactly like a dragon and say, maybe this ain't just a fucking birthmark. <laughs> like, it's not even like one of those things like where you look at a cloud and it could be interpreted in multiple things. No, that is universally a dragon. Everyone. You could walk up to a dog and put the collar on it from up so the dog could speak and it would say, motherfucker, that's <laughs> a dragon. Come on. Like, why are they introducing a character like this, like Mortal Kombat doesn't already have 50 fucking characters to choose from. And they're throwing in a random new motherfucker like that. That's what we need. And on top of that, they don't even have Johnny Cage in it. Why not just have Johnny Cage? Justin, why don't they have oh, Johnny yeah. Cage? I have no clue. I have no clue why Johnny Cage is not there unless this is supposed to wind up unless this guy winds up becoming johnny cage like johnny cage ends up either, being his actor name yeah like fuck maybe off. at the end because he's a cage fighter right oh so fuck maybe off, at Justin. the end he's oh you son of a bitch you're probably right that's what they're a, gonna do like a bunch a cage of fighter, fucking uh -huh. god fucking damn it that's fighter, what they're doing bro. that's what they're Come doing on, dude. he's gonna be johnny he's cage, a cage Fuck yep, you're he's right. He's a cage fighter. And then at the end, Fuck off. they're going to be like, so what is your stage name going to be? Johnny Cage. <laughs> Fuck off. You're right. <laughs> Justin, so I, I basically I honestly, we don't need to see this movie. I honestly think you're right. Like, I truly do. Like, in my heart of hearts, that is the end of that movie. Yep. He's Johnny Cage. It's got to be right. And you know, either that, or, that. Yeah, either that or maybe, or, or, or if they're not that lame, maybe he will be in a movie and maybe at the end he meets no, Johnny no, Cage. Johnny Cage is going to play him in a movie. <laughs> Fuck off. God damn it. Now I'm more mad now that actually did nothing but stir the flames of hatred. Like you seriously took like nine logs and threw them on the fires with that. <laughs> you probably are right though. I mean, I don't know. I just I just thought about that. And I was like, OK, this guy is a he's an MMA cage fighter. They're missing Johnny Cage. I bet you're I right. Mean, it's just, you know, I'm just and I, I mean, I'm just trying to. They are so fucking smart is what they're thinking. Yeah, they're, they're pulling uh, a, a Dark Knight Rises Robin situation. Oh, fuck off. That is my biggest complaint about the Nolan trilogy. I God. know <laughs> that is the thing I, I hate know. the most about the Nolan trilogy is. Oh, yeah, I like I your name, Robin. Fuck off and die, Christopher Nolan. Yeah, why did they do that? But but yeah, that's, I mean, I just thought about it and I was like, man, dude, I think that's where they're going with this. But here's one thing I will say about the trailer. And, you know, at first I was thrown aback by the whole Cole Young thing. And I was just like you, Sterling. I rolled my eyes and went, oh my God, here we go again. And the trailer, I mean, I don't know, man. I'm just so indifferent. Like, 
some of the the visuals I did like. I like the way some of the characters look. They and at least for uh, most of them, I can say they looked like themselves. I could tell who was what. So I mean, it, so it it at least kind of has that going for it. I recognized people. Man, I'm some not going to special- give them credit for people looking <laughs> like they're supposed to. That's literally well, the bare just, minimum requirement of doing a movie is people look like they're supposed to. Hey, man, I've seen, enough, I've seen too many video game movies where that is not the case. So I guess maybe I'm just that that's what has happened to me. I've been beaten down with these video game movies that if I just get anything that looks like the game, <laughs> maybe Justin, in some respects, maybe Street I'm Fighter just like just like oh, the game. It was bad. Oh, that's debatable. But yeah, it was still Dude, bad. Dude, don't tell but, me. But the people looked like the characters, though. Yeah, they did. They Except did. for Sagat. Sagat was just weirdly small. <laughs> like, and I get yeah. it. They could not find, like, a 6'7", 270, solid muscle, bald TIE fighter. I get it. They couldn't find it. Because that human doesn't exist. <laughs> But why did they get a guy that was like 5'2 with lifts that looked like he had never fought a day in his life and make him Sagat? That was the only one that looked tragically not like their character. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I digress. But but, but all I was really going to say is just that, um, you know, so I saw that. So some of the visuals I thought were good. Um, I saw gore. I saw blood. I saw people's arms getting ripped off. I saw people getting viciously killed. So I was like, okay, well, okay, well, that's Mortal Kombat. And, but still, you know, I was just kind of very indifferent about the whole thing. But then I thought about something. And so I will end my opinions on it with this. The last couple of video game movies, this formula of taking a character outside of the video game lore and kind of intermixing it in and having them interact with the video game world has worked to a degree with the movies that we've gotten lately. Uh, Detective Pikachu was that way. Sonic. You know? And Sonic was that way with the James Marston character. Yeah. Is this so could this just by proxy of those, could this somehow work? You take a character unrelated to them so that you don't have to worry about, well, do we have to do this character justice? Do we have to do do we have to do all of this? So that way you kind of have a person who is us. And you kind of get that perspective of one of just a a person, one of us going through this Mortal Kombat tournament. Mortal Kombat is a tournament. So it is not beyond the, the wildest, you know, it's not beyond the wildest thought that there were other people that participated in it. You know, no, they you're just right. didn't win or you're they right probably got killed. So... Like, cause that was the character, just, the, the like the Blanks character or whatever from the first movie, the guy that yeah. Johnny Cage knew that gets his ass beat by Goro. Yeah. Yep. That's right. You're exactly right. So I, I thought about that and I was like, well, you know what, man? I mean, the last couple of video game movies, they did like this. 
they did work. So that's the only chance in hell that I give this is that this formula has worked for two other video game movies. Maybe, just maybe, it'll work here too. But this is Mortal Kombat. I- I'm I'm a fan just like you are. I- I'm going to be going in there with the most biased of lenses. So I- I- I'm just going to be waiting for them to screw it up. But that formula does give them a chance. Maybe that's the smart way to do this. Maybe you can't uh, come from the perspective from the lens of one of the characters, or maybe they felt like, you know, we've already seen the Liu Kang story. They've already seen that movie. So let's try this. Let's do what Detective Pikachu did. Let's do what Sonic did and see if we can hit a home run with this. So we'll see what happens. I get what you're saying, Justin, especially about the Liu Kang story, because I'm not a Liu Kang fan per se, but yeah, we've seen that movie with Liu Kang as the main character, but where it also benefited though, or where this would have the one up is the fact that it's violent. Like it brings the gore, like the biggest misstep from the original Mortal Kombat movie in a lot of ways is its lack of gore just because that is such a hallmark of the Mortal Kombat series from the beginning. You know, it has been the game that has pushed fighting game violence more than anyone else. And a lot of other games have tried since then, you know, but Mortal Kombat is the one that always was at the forefront of violence and trying to always amplify it. And yes, it was unfortunately a product of the 90s when its first movie came out and also the animated series where they always took something popular that was violent and they tried to make it kid-friendly you know it's just i look at this though and all i can think of is the same reasons why mortal kombat annihilation was bad because what was mortal kombat annihilation just a shit ton of fucking characters that made no sense with how they were being used. And I feel like this is going to have that problem because not only are you having like Jax and Sonya and Liu Kang and Kung Lao and Chad Michael Murray and <laughs> Kano, but you've also got Melina. Well, Melina is a clone of Katana. So you get Melina, but no Katana. That's weird. You get Cabal in this. You also get a character called Natara, which for anybody that doesn't know, I believe she showed up in Mortal Kombat Deception and also again in Mortal Kombat uh, Armageddon. And she is a vampire. Yeah, she's in this movie. Why? You know, it's once again, why is like, how are they really going to tie in this, you know, Chad King Kong storyline and also apparently go in depth with the storyline of Sub-Zero Bihan, the Bihan Sub-Zero, and Scorpion, which looks to be like a very prominent storyline in this. And, well, it looks like they got a lot of the ice effects right. That was good. I liked the ice effects. But then it also looked like they blew their load and budget for special effects on all the ice stuff because Kano's laser laser vision looked like shit. Goro (laughs) looked like shit. There is a scene in the trailer where it shows Jax's mechanical hand. And somehow that looked worse 
than the T eight hundred hand from the fucking eighties in Terminator. <laughs> like, what the fuck is going on? And I understand the special effects might not actually be finished yet. I one hundred percent understand that the movie's not out yet. But if that's the case, why are you showing that hand if it's not finished? It's just so out there, and it looks terrible. It just looks like they're doing Mortal Kombat Annihilation again, but more violent. And also, the most iconic thing about the original Mortal Kombat movie was that soundtrack. And fuck that music was boring as shit in this trailer. (laughs) You can't even give something to, like, mimic? I, personally, I would have just used the same song. Yeah, that song was great. You just used the Mortal Kombat song. No one in the history of the world would have been mad at you for using that song in this trailer. Right. Yeah. It's just this music was just so blah. And it's it's so jarring because, like I said, the best thing about the Mortal Kombat movies were the soundtrack. And you're going to bring some blah-ass music? Come on, bro. Heather, do you have any thoughts? Do you have anything else you want to say? <laughs> um, I mean, I I'm kind of right now indifferent i mean i do agree like i think the effects like with the the ice and everything like that that looked cool um mostly the thing that i think is going to be probably the best part about the movie is um hiroyuki sonata who plays scorpion because i think he's great in everything you know last samurai he's in westworld he's in a bunch of stuff and he's really good so he's probably going to be the best thing about the movie but uh, again, yeah, it's I mean, that probably won't take much <laughs> from what I'm seeing. But I mean, I'm definitely going to watch it because that is like a, a staple childhood thing. Like that's one of the few <laughs> video games that I actually enjoyed playing, even though I was terrible at it. But I remember watching those movies, too. And like the first one I liked. Second one. No. But yeah, I just I'm curious to see what they will do with this kind of like a reboot or like a refresh of how they make this movie, hoping it'll be better. So I'm going to say I'm not necessarily like excited, but I'm hopeful that they'll make it better than the others. All I know is that after Justin's Johnny Cage cage fighter thing, I'm just I have a (laughs) feeling I'm just going to be even more mad than I was already thinking I was going to be. I'm going to be even more <laughs> mad about you've been naughty, so there's coal in your stocking storyline. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. And, and my only fear, my main fear, though, is kind of what you were saying about the, the fact that um, if you're developing an outside character, then that means that the other characters probably aren't going to get that same care and development. So I do see it with so many characters that probably being an issue. And maybe I get the perspective of, well, they already know these characters so we can sum them up and then just develop our own character and kind of go through his journey. And then he'll interact with a lot of the familiar people that the, that people already know, but you know, it's still a movie. You're still going to have to, somehow get investment in those characters and i don't know how they're gonna do that so well (laughs) we'll we'll see how that works but i mean uh, i i get what you're saying justin it's just then on top of that 
then why are you doing the backstory of Sub-Zero Scorpion? Like, why are we doing that backstory? You know what I mean? Yeah. So I don't know how they're, unless they just picked like a few and they were like, okay, we'll get, we got, we got Cole, which is the audience. Then we're going to have, we're going to develop the, just the, the main ones that we care about or we think people care about. So Scorpion and Sub-Zero, they got to have some time. Shang Tsung, he's got to get some time. You know, I feel like they're going to prioritize certain characters. And I don't know, maybe that's the best way you can do uh, an hour and a half, two hour Mortal Kombat. Maybe that's all you can do. But then again, you're good. But you can't just do that to the bat to Sub-Zero Scorpion. Raiden deserves some time. Liu Kang deserves some time. Like yeah. you said, Kong Lyo deserves some time. I mean, I all mean, of them they're do. awesome. They're awesome. Yeah, if you're going to uh, do Sonya. Yeah. That's your female. That's your badass female. You, she got to have some time. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the hell they do this. <laughs> That's why I think it'd be easier just to make a movie off the first game when there's like, what, nine characters? Like, yeah, it's incredibly yeah. streamlined for you. You know, yeah, you that would have been a lot easier. Have some people fucking fighting, and then you have a Goro Shang Tsung fight. Bam, you're done. You're in, you're out. Hour 45 tops. Amp up the violence. Anyway, that's enough fucking talk about that bullshit. <laughs> anyway, now on to Judas and the Black Messiah. That hard right turn we're taking now. Right. Once again, like I said, we're going to talk about what we liked, didn't like, and everything in between. We're going to go spoiler free, give recommendations and scores, and then go into a more more spoiler centric section with time codes in the description to let you know uh, where to jump around if you want to. So with that, Heather, what are your spoiler free thoughts on Judas and the Black Messiah? Well, um, I do want to preface by saying I did not know much of this actual story of Fred Hampton. Um, I knew who he was. I knew kind of the basics. So I didn't know a whole lot going into this movie about that actual story of that. So I definitely learned some new stuff. Um, but honestly, this is a really great movie. This is powerhouse acting, which I'm not surprised about. It's got three actors that I really love. Um, Daniel Kaluuya Lakeith Stanfield, um, Jesse Plemons, they are all so good in this movie. And it's, I mean, oh my goodness. Like I, I enjoyed, it's one of those where I enjoyed the acting so much that like, it didn't matter if it wouldn't matter if the story wasn't good. Like it was a good story, but I feel like with the type of talent they were bringing to the roles, it wouldn't have really mattered if the story was lesser, <laughs> but the fact that it was a powerful story along with this incredible acting. This was a great movie. Like I, I'm super impressed. Um, you know, it, it's just, it's really, I mean, even the feel of it, like the, the costumes, the clothing, the way the film is shot, everything kind of takes you to that time. And it's really, really good. And it's hard to kind of really talk too much about it anyway, without giving some sort of spoilers. But I mean, I mean, I knew that Daniel Kaluuya was going to do a fantastic job, but man, he sounded exactly like Fred Hampton. Like he on point exactly like him. And it was super impressive. Um, and Lakeith is always great as Sterling knows. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I just I, I think it was a really powerful film. And I think it was really, really fantastic acting. And yeah, it was I mean, it was just it's an important story. And it's one that, you know, people need to hear because even someone at my age, myself, like I didn't even know this full story. So it was really informative and powerful. So I think it's a great movie. Justin, what about you? Uh, yeah, I definitely um, feel similar to where Heather's coming from with this. I mean, this was, to me, this was just um, just another great movie to chalk in for great movies this year. Like, I think that when the year is all said and done, this will be another one of those movies that you look back and say, man, it was one of the best movies of 2021. And I know there's a lot of 2021 left, but man, I mean, I'm just really enjoying these excellent black movies. You know, we saw, we were, were reviewing this now, and then we just did one night in Miami. So I'm kind of really enjoying all the black excellence at the moment. Well, and Ma but, Rainey. Uh, yep. Ma Rainey's black bottom. Yep. So yeah, we got that. So man, uh, black people just killing it right now in cinema for 2021. So, uh, so yeah, I'm just really enjoying all of this. And this movie is no exception to that rule per se. Uh, yeah, this is great. I mean, without trying to talk about spoilers or anything like that. So without saying too many specific things, it's superbly acted. I thought that the the music of this is great. Um it's very and the music is like it's very um great at setting a sense of tone. Like I think that's what I could say. When it when when there was a part that needed to be dramatic, the the music usually fit that. When something was abrupt, it, it there was a there was something that you heard, there was some jazz or there was something that would play or a saxophone that would play that would perfectly encapsulate whatever that mood needed to be. And whenever the tension was going up, you just always felt like the sound was on point. And then, uh, like Heather said, the way that this is shot, just um, very like atmospheric cinematography. It, it just captured the, the the atmosphere of what it must have been like in that time. Uh, for Chairman Fred Hampton and uh, William and everybody else involved with this story. And even though this is a dramatization of true events, you, you just get the sense that you were there. You just get the sense of why this is important, why this um, mattered so much, why this was a story worth telling. And if you didn't know much about this story, I definitely recommend you see it for that reason because when you see kind of the 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 potential that Fred Hampton had and just the power that he was starting to amass and just the power of his words really because there are parts in this where he's just giving speeches and you almost just can't help but get goosebumps at what he's saying and how relevant some of those things are today. You hear phrases and things from characters and you can't help but think about uh, today. And speaking of that, when you get to the end of this movie, and I won't say what the ending is or anything like that, but 
it delivers uh, a similar kind of gut blow that I think we saw in Black Klansman, that Spike Lee joint where you get to the end and it tells you some things and some realizations are made. And it really just kind of puts into perspective not only how far we've come, but how far we still need to go. So, yeah, this was an excellent movie from start to finish. The acting is on point. Everyone did well. And the direction from Shaka King was superb. When I watched this movie, all I can really think of is, can we give Lakeith Stanfield a fucking Academy Award for acting yet? Like, please, seriously, <laughs> can we? Yeah. He is hands down. Like, I don't want to say new actor, but like, and I don't want to say up and coming because he's not, he's established. But like, I don't feel, and I say this knowing that I have sung this man's praises nonstop. I don't feel like enough is ever said with how fucking good he is. He toes the line in this movie amazingly well. This man can act with his eyes better than a lot of actors can act in general with everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's doing scenes where his body's doing one thing, but his eyes are telling a different story. This man yep. is amazing. And I don't mean that with any disrespect to, and I hate it because I can't say his last name. Daniel, Heather, say it. Kaluuya. Kaluuya. I think it's because every time yes. I want to say it, I want to say Kalua. So yeah, say it's it, easy to say it do one that. more time. Kaluya. Kaluya. Not Kalua. Yes. Kaluya. Mm -hmm. Daniel Kaluya. And I feel bad that I can't say his name. It's just my brain's kind of dumb sometimes. So it wants to default towards that I've said probably more in my life. So I'm sorry. <laughs> That's fair. But it's Daniel Kaluya. Nice. And he's utterly fantastic in this movie, too. If you're not giving an Academy Award to Lakeith like Stanfield, Give it to this motherfucker at least something. I say that. <laughs> Them together is great. You can, you can give it to anybody in, in Ma Rainey and I wouldn't be really that mad. You could give it to anybody in One Night in Miami and I wouldn't be mad either. It's just like Justin said. We've gotten some amazing performances out of some movies this year. And I do think it's funny that this is like the year that the Oscars put in rules to make sure that they're uh, movies were more diverse and it's weird because at this time honestly if you go just by the best movies that actually have come out by default their stuff would have been more diverse because the best acting in movies this year has hands down been black men and women mm -hmm. you know yeah i mean by default and i mean say what you will about the entertainment industry and how it's been suffering during this pandemic and all this other stuff. I, I, I do have to parrot Justin though. We've gotten three damn near perfect black movies. And I don't mean that, that in a way that they're perfect for being black movies. I'm just saying these are predominantly black movies that have been damn near perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's awesome. Like I like how Jason reason. said it. Black excellence. I yeah. like that. That's good. But it's, it's it's one of those things that this pandemic has shown that the people that have the better stories to tell should be given the opportunities. You know, as much as I love some garbage fucking movies and all this other stuff, 
it's been rather kind of refreshing to have these keynote movies be kind of just readily available and out there and just begging to be watched. And that because there isn't a lot coming out, they're not being overshadowed by typical Hollywood marketing, you know, because if this was a normal year, yeah, this movie would have come out and it would have been just as good, but there would have been a Marvel movie or a DC movie or something else that they would have been promoting more though. And I'm glad that this was able to shine because it deserved to shine, that there wasn't something that was just easier to market talked about more than something like this because, and don't get me wrong. You can like your Marvel movies all you want. You can like your DC movies. You can like your Fast and the Furious because God knows I do. You can like all those movies, but they're not a better movie than this. When you really look at like a movie and telling a story and acting and all those things, they're not better than this. They might be more entertaining. They might be easier to digest. And the reason why I say more entertaining is because of the easier to digest aspects of it. You know, it might be one of those things like the, this is a heavy movie. This isn't a movie. You know, you're not going to be like, you know, sitting there with your friends eating popcorn going, yeah, let's have a movie night. Let's watch this, you know, and I get that it is a heavy movie, but as heavy as it is, it is so damn good. You're going to rewatch it. I, w- I, at least I know I will. I'll rewatch this movie. Yeah. Yep. Me too. You know, and like I said, it's just, this isn't like, you know, your typical fare and that's fine. It's just. I'm just so glad that this was able to shine. This got, it's essentially like a solo release date. You know, this is available on HBO Max and in theaters at the same time. You know, it's an utterly perfectly crafted movie. I mean, especially if you don't know the story, like I didn't know everything about Fred Hampton or anything like that. I didn't know. I knew a lot about the Black Panthers but I didn't know necessarily a lot of the specifics about Fred Hampton, you know, and what he did in the city and stuff like that. I do love the fact that this movie brought up something that is easy to know, but for whatever reason, not well known, which was the open war on the black Panthers from the federal government. Well, and state and local governments, that information is well known. It's out there. That's not like a huge secret that this movie dropped on us or was a dramatization of that is 100% fact, but yet for some reason, not, not, I guess, well-known. A lot of people don't know that a lot of people don't realize that the history and the way the Black Panther Party is perceived, especially nowadays, is propaganda perpetuated in the 1960s and 70s from the U.S. government, especially J. Edgar Hoover. To get the American people to hate them. Yep. You know, a lot of people don't know that. And that's, that's, that's proven fact. Those documents have been released. It's not like, it's like I said, like a conspiracy theory, nothing like that. No, there are documents saying a lot of the shit it says in this movie, J. Edgar Hoover wanted to kill Fred Hampton before he could become the quote unquote black Messiah because Fred Hampton was considered that. Because Fred Hampton, more than Martin Luther King and Malcolm X, was uniting people that normally wouldn't have been united. And while granted, he was doing it locally in Chicago, they were worried if that went national, what would happen? And people don't realize that. 
And it's sad because a lot of the reasons why a lot of stereotypes and a lot of why Black Lives Matter exists now when it comes into terms of racial injustice in our justice system and stuff like that. A lot of people don't realize that a lot of that does date back to the 1960s and 70s with this open war against the Black Panthers. People being thrown in jail for any reasons they could possibly manufacture just to make sure that they were not able to have the same opportunities that other people had. It was intentional, it was targeted, and it was malicious. And it starts a chain reaction that we're still feeling today. So even on a purely educational note, this movie is very, very important. Because while, yes, some of it is dramatized, a lot of the things still depicted in this aren't. There was an open war against the Black Panther Party to discredit them. And that is in a lot of that is a lot of the reason why the Black Panther Party did become very militant because there was a war being waged against them. Now, and that is and that was done intentionally to make them militant because it's always easier for people to go against the people that they feel are inciting violence, especially out in the open especially whenever the the truth of what is happening is being hidden. Yeah, I really like this movie. I know I didn't actually talk a lot about the movie and talked about a lot. I guess I talked mainly about the theme of the movie, but all the things I said are very well represented in this movie. The director did an amazing, the director and writer did an amazing job of encapsulating those aspects in this movie. And Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield and Jesse Plemons, and even Martin Sheen. I think Martin Sheen did an amazing J. Edgar Hoover. Mm-hmm. Um, but they did such a good job of portraying the turmoil and the struggle. And also, especially in the Lakeith Stanfield with the Wild Bill character, also the need of self-preservation. And I think it's just so incredibly well done. It does. It fires mm-hmm. me up about these other themes. Um, so let's go ahead and go into recommendations and scores. Uh, Justin, go. Yeah, I definitely recommend this for a lot of the reasons that you gave just now. And I'll get into more detail about just things that I liked and uh, just some of the, the, the greatness that I think is in this movie. But yeah, I think that this is just one of those where it's a must see because you need to know about this story. You need to know about who Fred Hampton is and why he was so important in American history. And especially uh, with all the conversations happening right now about black lives and racial injustice and systemic racism and different things like that. This is kind of one of those movies that, that I think will help people who are looking to learn more about this, gain some more perspective. And even if you kind of knew a little bit about the Black Panthers and stuff like that, and uh, what Sterling said about how the FBI and uh, uh, the Chicago police at the time and just all of these other and government officials, all these people kind of work together in tandem to discredit the Black Panthers and make them seem like just another terrorist group in comparison to the KKK. I, which is ludicrous, but you'd be surprised how many people you hear say that same thing today. And 
it's because and and that to me just kind of shows the lasting effect that that smear campaign had like why they went to such lengths to silence people like Fred Hampton and things like that so i think that this is important to watch not just because you're going to be spellbounded by Daniel Kaluuya's acting or Lakeith Stanfield and everybody else that showed up because everybody absolutely shows up in this movie. But I think that this is one of those movies where it's you should watch it because it's important for you to know. It's important for you to learn about these people. It's important for you to 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 know what happened at that time and to better see the parallels that it has with things that happen today. So, yeah, for all of those reasons, I can definitely recommend it. We're going to go with we're going to go with 95 uh, knives <laughs> slashing through a top of a car and then into somebody's body out of 100. Heather, what about you? Yeah, I for sure recommend this. I think um, I mean, yeah, there's not really much more to say that hasn't been said about how incredible this movie is. Like it's, it's an important one, you know? And, um, and again, like, I mean, you just, you're going to learn something. If you watch this, you're going to just be really blown away by how they tell the story. The storytelling aspect of this film is really, really good. And the talent, the acting, of course, like you, you can just tell that they all brought their all to it. You know, they were really invested in becoming these characters and just really invested in wanting to tell this story in the best possible way. And I really don't think they could have done a better job at it. I think they really just nailed it and the importance of it and, you know, laying out the facts of kind of what played out in this whole thing. Um, and another person too, that I really want to give credit to is uh, Dominique Fishback who played Hampton's girlfriend um, she did a wonderful job too, you know, and, um, I just, yeah, I just think that there's not a single person who didn't really bring something special to this movie and made this movie what it is kind of similar to one night in Miami, where you say like, take anybody out of this equation and it's not the same movie, you know, the, the job that they did and the performances they gave really, they really sell this movie. Um, and again, it's a story that needs to be told regardless of who is playing these different characters or portraying them on screen. But just, you know, just the way you know that they really cared about telling the story. They're very thoughtful in their performances. And, you know, it's just everything about it is very um, carefully done. And I appreciate that about this because you know, especially when you're telling a story that is, you know, such a big part of history and still things going on today that kind of um, are still in effect because of things from back then. Like it's it's just so it's it's just something that you need to see and you need to know about and be informed on. And I'm just really glad that, that you're right, Sterling, about this movie Shining. I'm glad that this has a spotlight right now. And it's able to be out there and kind of a uh, focal point right now. And yeah, it's definitely a great film. Absolutely recommend it. I'm going to give this, um, I think it's just as good as One Night in Miami. And I remember giving them a 94. So I'm going with 
94 powerful speeches and chants by Hampton out of 100. I, I, I think it's funny, Justin, that you bring up that, you know, back in the day, this movie shows that the Black Panthers were being compared to to the KKK as just a black version of the KKK. And I recently like defriended somebody on Facebook because they were posting something that was equivocating Black Lives Matter to the Nazis. Yep. And I, I wish I was joking. I'm not. They really did that. And it really is kind of scary. The parallels we're seeing nowadays to the 1960s from which this movie came out. I mean, that was damn near 60 years ago. And we're seeing the same type of events play out now. And it really kind of makes you wonder, as much as humanity as a whole has progressed, you know, when it comes to medicine and technology and all of these things, we've progressed so much as a species. Yet as a culture, we really haven't. As a culture, as much as we love to think we have, we're very much still in the same place we were in a lot of ways. Now, I know on paper, things are better. But in actuality, in real life, in, in what is actually going on, so much actually hasn't changed. And I think that this movie really kind of highlights that in a lot of ways. Just like a lot of other movies we've seen lately have. As much as we've moved forward, we really haven't. And I think things like this can help us move forward if people would actually be willing to be open to what this movie can give them. But unfortunately, I feel like too many people wouldn't be. I unequivocally recommend this movie. I agree with Heather that this is just good as one, just as good as One Night in Miami. So for me, I think my score should reflect that. And I, I will give this a 99 we are revolutionaries out of 100. Spoilers? Yes. Yes. So, with spoilers, I mean, once again, this is kind of hard to spoil because it is more or less historical. Fred Hampton was assassinated by the FBI. And that's just kind of uh, there, you know, that's really kind of hard to spoil because it's what happened. Um, but I, I do want to also just go back a little bit and just say also, I do agree with a lot of what you guys have said, though, with the acting in this movie from everybody, every single person in this movie, no matter how small of a part it is, that was some fucking good acting. Like, no matter what character yeah. it was, even if the person had, like, three dialogue, like lines of dialogue in this movie, it was all done good. Like, shit. You'd expect one <laughs> motherfucker to be bad at delivering his lines. Somebody. No. I think what's actually, like, really impressive but also sad is... Lakeith Stanfield is not even 30 years old yet. That blows my mind. He's got like this talent and wisdom of somebody just like an old soul. <laughs> and Daniel Kaluuya is only like 31. So I'm just like, these dudes are like younger than us. And like, just, I don't know. They're just like titans on the screen, though. I would never know they were that young. Well, it's kind of like Fred Hampton died when he was 21. That's true. I did not yeah. know that. I did not know he was 21. Yeah, me when neither. When he died. And honestly, yeah, that's though, crazy. That made more sense as to why the FBI wanted him dead. If he was as powerful as he was at 21. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? Like, he would have been downright unstoppable at 24. <laughs> like, you know, 
yeah, it becomes even more evident as to why the FBI was, especially J. Edgar Hoover, because that guy was scared and paranoid and honestly a mass murderer. And yeah, anybody he disagreed with was an enemy of the state. And it just didn't help that he was a gigantic racist for minority mm. communities. Because if you were any kind of a somewhat influential minority, he wanted you dead. Prison was too good for you. And I, I am glad they showed that in this movie because I think that that's something that's lost in history. I think one of the things that this movie really highlights for me that is so impactful is kind of that point that I think I've said before on the podcast. And if not, buckle up, kiddos, that we try as a society to act like the civil rights movement and everything was so long ago that it its influences or the things that were being fought for are so, so long ago that obviously everything's fine now is the mentality a lot of things want you to have, and including our educational systems when it comes to even textbooks, because I don't know if a lot of people realize this, but there's a reason why our textbooks and our media and a lot of things show pictures of the civil rights movement in black and white. And the secret is, it's not because colored pictures didn't exist back then. It's because they intentionally want you to make you make you think it was that long ago that it predates color photography. It doesn't at all mm. in any way, shape or form. Color photography was very much a standard thing back then. The only kind of like pass you get is newspapers. If it's a picture from a newspaper, because those were in black and white back then still. It wasn't like now where they do it, you know, in color and all this. You know, back then, a lot of newspapers were still in black and white. So a newspaper photo, I understand. But anything else, they show it to you in black and white to make it seem longer ago than it was. Because you automatically have that mentality of black and white was so long ago. And if they actually showed it to you in color, like it was, and like they very much did take the pictures in, you would realize that it's a lot more modern than we want to admit. Mm. I mean, it's a very scary thing, the way that that propaganda is, is, is done in this country to this day. I mean, think about it. Most people can't ever picture Martin Luther King in a color photograph, and it's not because they don't exist. It's because they're intentionally not shown. And a lot of that has to go back with to the mentality that is shown by J. Edgar Hoover and the FBI in this, you know, make it seem like a distant problem. Make it seem like it's not what is actually going on. Make the Black Panthers seem like the aggressors. Make the Black Panthers be the problem, you know, make other people, make the public as a whole hate them because it's a lot better than them hating you. And this movie kind of really highlights this. That no matter what Fred Hampton tried to do, set up a medical center, feed children, help people get educated, all of that was considered bad just because it was him doing it, you know? And it's really kind of scary because how much of that is still shown today in that kind of light? Mm -hmm. You know, when there is actual violence being committed against people and the idea that they would want that violence to stop and that their community has had enough 
and that they are tired of experiencing real oppression because they are physically and mentally and emotionally actually being repressed and they are being vilified for it. Yet there are people out there who just now feel oppressed when in no way, shape or form have they actually been oppressed. You know, I'm going to go on a limb and say losing an election is not oppression. It just means you lost. And yet when they violently riot because of that, so many of them are considered patriots because they do, like they say, they say they are fighting a war, but against what? Like their enemy is literally people voting against them. That's not a war. When one side is being violent and the other is literally not, that's not a war. You know, Joe Biden didn't win the election because people stormed voting centers with guns and made people vote for Joe Biden. There wasn't any violence that directly happened that made Joe Biden become president. Whereas then when you look at something like Black Lives Matter, where black people have systemically and systematically been oppressed in this country more than people want to admit through, through laws and through racial profiling and through uh, inconsistent sentencing when it comes to crimes, when it comes to targeting with the war on drugs, when it comes to the CIA literally feeding drugs into inner city black communities. Once again, that's not a conspiracy. That is fact. The documentation has been unsealed. It is fact. And they have literally had violence committed against them and like legitimately had a war waged against them. And by fighting back against that, they're considered ungrateful. They're considered, uh, what, what's the word? I can't even think of the word. It's uh, entitled. Like, and, and honestly, they should. Mm -hmm. Everybody in this country should be entitled to feel like they have the same rights as everybody else. Like that, it, it's, it's, it's utterly perplexing what we've seen going on in our country in the past year and how fucking much it looks the same as 1966. It's scary. It's fucking unbelievable in so many ways. And when you see something like this in this movie where the speeches Fred Hampton gave in 1966 could be repeated word for word today and be 100% as accurate now as they were then is incredibly powerful because of how incredibly terrifying that is. Like there are aspects of the Black Panther Party this movie doesn't even touch on because it didn't, th those aspects weren't necessarily what happened in New York or in, in Chicago. When I was bring, when I brought up earlier that the CIA was intentionally funneling drugs into the Black Panther Party and into inner city black communities. I don't like those aspects aren't in this movie because it wasn't in Chicago, but that's very much another thing that they could have put in this movie that would have been just as accurate and just as powerful. And just on, as on message as a lot of things in this movie were. And as much as like you guys were saying that, you know, this movie could actually maybe help or change some people's opinions and all this other stuff. I unfortunately have to disagree with you because the motherfuckers that feel that way are going to watch this movie and they're just going to go, yeah, they were the bad guys. And they're not going to really see it either. 
they're not going to see that nothing's changed in a lot of regards. And how incredibly sad that would make me. That this message and, and, and this mindset and this, this culture, in a lot of ways, is still just going to be just as stuck. I feel like I've gone on quite a tangent with this, but in my head, it very much correlates. So that's all I can say. Sorry if anybody thinks I, I am off topic. In my head, I'm not. And I've just got to go with that. Um, I don't know whose turn it is. Jasmine, is it your turn? I think it's your turn. I don't know. Jasmine, go. Uh, okay, yeah. And um, I, I definitely think that all of those uh, uh, feelings and things that you were talking about are definitely things that um, are talking points um, in this movie. And and yeah, I get the sentiment that there's going to be certain people that watch this movie and they're just going to be stuck in their ways and think that, oh, certain people are the bad people and everything like that. But uh, but but you've always got to root for the side of, you know, movies like this, seeing things like this, maybe this is the movie that sparks the right conversation for certain people, or maybe it, 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 you know, influences people to research a little bit more or anything like that. I mean, and that's sure. I, I don't, I don't expect every movie like this to change the mind of certain racist people or certain people who've grown up in certain households and things like that. I don't expect movies like this to always change those people. But people that are on the fence, people that are trying to learn about this, people that have kind of taken an interest in this subject matter and are listening, those people exist too. And I know they do because they will private message me often and say, hey, when you post that stuff about black lives, when you post that stuff about black history and stuff like that, I just want you to know I'm listening. I'm paying attention. I'm trying to develop some perspective there 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 really are people who just really it's not that they're racist or it's not that they just believe what they want to believe there are people who are really on that fence of i don't really know what to believe you know i feel like i you know i have black friends and i have people who i, I hear them and they're my friends and I care about them and I hear what they're saying. But then I go home and my mom and dad are saying something else. And I don't know, but I'm torn. I don't know what to think about this. There really are people like that that exist. Dare I say there are more of those people than we think. So I think a film like this can help to bring more perspective. If you're out there trying to look for more material on this, or maybe you've read a couple of books, or maybe you you just want to know a little bit more about who Fred Hampton is and who these people were and what this what happened during this event. Um, I, I just think that this is a nice gateway into some of those things, because this story, and I think it's important to say that now that we're in the um, spoiler section, this story is told from the perspective of the Judas, so to speak. You know, the, the, this story is kind of told from the lens of the William O'Neill character, the Lakeith Stanfield uh, character in this, or the person that he's playing in this, who was 
the Judas, so to speak. He was the person who was was hired by the FBI, and I say hired, but it was more like coerced or kind of. He made a deal after he was already facing some possible criminal charges. So, but either way, he infiltrated the Black Panther. So a lot of this is from that lens. So is this going to tell you the history of Fred Hampton? Is this going to, is this a film that encapsulates his life or or kind of talks about every aspect and how, how, uh, influential he was to certain things and what it was like for him growing up and all that stuff. The, it's not that movie. So I think it's important to say that this is not a biopic in that way. What this is, is a dramatization of just that singular event of the, the relationship between William O'Neill and Fred Hampton and how on one side you had a person who was uh who was working with the FBI and infiltrating and stuff like that and all of the kind of back and forth struggle and the frustrations and the things that kind of go along with that and then on the other side you have Fred Hampton who was uh, who is very much you know fighting for this cause and trying to be the best chairman of the Black Panthers he could be and trying to rally people and he had this mantra about the 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 people are what changes things in society. It's about the people. That's our greatest weapon. If we can get people to see that this is not good, that this is not fair, that things are not equal, that uh, that um, if we can get people to join in, all people, all races and creeds, that's what it's truly going to take to get change. And so that that's essentially what you get to see here. You get to see some of Fred Hampton's influence. You get to see him interacting with other uh political groups like the Crowns in this, which that was just um a great scene where he was talking with the leader of the Crowns, which was like another uh act black activist group at the time and they uh, did some protecting from Martin Luther King and different things like that. So the Crowns were another uh, black group with political influence. They just probably weren't as popular as the Panthers, but they were another group at that time that existed. So it was nice to show, to see a little bit of that too, that, hey, there were these other groups that were uh, fighting the good fight, so to speak, um, and feeding poor people and different things like that. But I loved that conversation that Fred Hampton has with him. And they were talking about Martin Luther King's death. And at one point, uh, Fred Hampton says, well, uh, th those people may have been killed, but at least they died for the people. And we would be so lucky to lay down our lives and fight for the people, fight for the right cause. And to me, that just so encapsulated who Fred Hampton was. That was inspiring to me. Like to hear him talking, there was also a scene towards the end where he's gathered all of this money and all these community leaders and people have, and the crowns again have come and they've given him money and they're, and everybody's telling him what he needs to do to run from the police and the FBI and everybody like that. Everybody's saying you need to move overseas. You need to hide. 
you need to go here, you need to go there. And I'll just never forget this scene. And I I wonder if this really happened. And even if it didn't happen exactly like this, uh, I definitely feel that it was in the spirit of Fred Hampton. But he kind of stops all that talk and he goes, what about this medical facility that we were trying to build? And he goes into how, do you know how many lives we could save? If we could build that medical facility, if that medical facility goes up, all the people that we could help, all the lives that we could save. And he said, is this about me? Is this about protecting me or is it about the people? And man, that was just really like inspiring stuff. But it kind of perfectly encapsulated what kind of person he was. He was so incredibly selfless. And then you flip that table over and you look at somebody like William O'Neill, who just seemed to be completely self-ish. And I think that that was the great juxtaposition. That was the great parallel between these two stories, these intertwining stories. So and I think that that was done Absolutely well, you know, uh, you, you see, and Lakeith just did such a great job playing the William, o, William O'Neill in this movie, because there are just times where you could just tell, like Sterling said, the acting with his eyes, there were just times where you could just tell that maybe this character is unraveling, that maybe this person is feeling some guilt, that maybe this person uh, is on the brink of thinking about, am I really doing the right thing here? But y- you would see him fight those feelings and those emotions constantly. You would see him constantly fearing for his life and different things like that and wondering and kind of, you can almost sit, he never said it, but you can almost sense it from him. That's how good Lakeith's acting was in this. But still, still giving in to mainly those selfish desires and trying to survive and trying to, you know, I've got to look out for me. And that took precedent over the good that he saw the Black Panthers doing, over the good that he saw firsthand that Fred Hampton was fighting for. So all of this is really just perfectly portrayed in this film. And that's ultimately what this is. This isn't being preachy. It's not just all about, well, hey, everybody, look how prejudiced they were. Look how awful these people were. Look how great the black people were. And you need to be mad about this. And you need to go out after you watch this and condemn racism. It's not preachy in that way. But what it does do, I think, very well is say, look, this is what it was at the time. This is the way these people thought. This is why racism is systemic. I mean, the the conversation that Officer Roy had with um with with Edgar Hoover and the other feds, where um where where they're talking to each other, and he's like, "What would you do if your daughter came home with a with a Negro with a black boyfriend?" and you know, Officer Roy is like, well, my daughter's an infant. And then he went on. And then so the person he's to, um, Hoover that he's talking to, he went on to make this comparison. And he was like, well, think about this. If 
your remember when you fought in the war that you fought you did you would do whatever it took to survive remember yeah you were fighting in the war for your country and everything like that but when you got out there and when you were out on the field and you were and it was life or death everything was about your survival you did what you could to survive you did what you could to maintain your way of life and he said you need to look at this this fight that we're having with the Black Panthers, this war against them, this conspiracy to assassinate Fred Hampton. You need to see this, this battle against Black people. You need to see this as a direct, uh, them as a direct threat to your very humanity as you know it. And that's why we need to stop them. That's why we need to. So to me, that was just another powerful scene because it kind of puts in perspective just how deep rooted some of this racism goes, just how just to put you really in the mentality of somebody who thinks like that, who has that idea in their head that, yes, this is the single biggest threat to our humanity is whether or not these minorities, whether or not these black people have any kind of power. We've got to prevent that at all costs. So all of this is in there and it doesn't have to spell it out for you. It doesn't have to do it in a preachy manner. It just gives you a scene and it just kind of takes your breath away sometimes what these people are saying or what these people are talking about. But even though all that is there, and you make all the parallels to today and it kind of gives you those feelings of, oh, man, we've got such a long way to go. But at the same time, uh, looking at it from Fred Hampton's perspective and seeing the Black Panthers, th there were very there were a lot of things in this movie that really gave me a lot of inspiration as well. Whenever the Black Panther headquarters was burned down uh, during that police during that police standoff. And then seeing all the community come and uh, come together, give money, participate, help paint. And the fact that they rebuilt that place and before Fred Hampton uh, was released from jail off of that bogus charge that he took. And he was uh, out on um, he was released in jail. I believe he was on bail or he was out on an appeal, I think. And so that's why he was out. And when he saw how the community came together and rebuilt that Black Panther headquarters, that was just an inspiring moment. I mean, some of the moments that he has where we get to hear some of the revolutionary speeches and him telling everybody, I am a revolutionary and going into the fact that, you know, where I would die for the people. I'm high on the people. I would do whatever I can for the people. And that's what I want to do. Everything is about the people and him understanding even the importance of the the, the Rainbow Coalition and how he went uh, to different races of people. And um, I mean, there, there were rednecks and hillbillies and they were all having a meeting and talking and there was a big Confederate flag up and everything. And he went there and spoke to those people and kind of and met with them on a common level. Because he understood that it's going to take all people to really turn our situation around. And there's something powerful about that. I think whether you're black or white, whatever color you are, there's something powerful about that message. People can change things.
People can decide whether or not the government is good enough for them. People, if they come together and are uniform and fight for the right purpose and the right cause, they really can change things. But it's got to take everybody show under having the same understanding, showing the same concern. But it's possible. You know, it's possible. You can make a difference. We've seen what happens when people really get together, band together and utilize their strength and seeing so many powerful black people coming together as they did in this movie at times and seeing them in a place of strength and confidence and seeing them having goals and ambitions and trying to uh, really fight the good fight the right way. And 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 even though in the end it didn't work out for these people, even though in the end there was this assassination attempt on Fred Hampton and everything like that, you can't help but walk away and feel at least some semblance of look what they started and look what's still going and look how some of these people are still fighting the good fight. And that gave gave me at least a little bit of hope um, in this movie. But along with that, there are just some very, uh, like I said um, in our non-spoiler part, there are just some very uh, effective gut blows in this as well. And this is the last thing I'll say, and I'll um, turn it over to Heather. But like Lakeith's character, William O'Neill, that to me was just very, I've never seen that interview footage of him, uh, of the actual William doing the interview about what would you tell your son about what you did and the part you played in this mm-hmm. and everything like that. I've never seen that footage, but man, seeing that footage and when the question is asked to him, you know, what is going to be your legacy? What are you going to tell your son or your kids about this? And when you see the wandering of his eyes and just he's searching for the words and searching through all that guilt and searching through. I mean, there's just no telling what this man must have felt inside after all of this happened, knowing that he did this to people who were really innocent. He trailed them for years and and I mean, for that long of a time and wasn't finding anything incriminating. and. When he sat there and was talking and talking about, well, I I, I would want them to know that I wasn't somebody who sat on the sidelines. I, you know, I actually did something. I participated in stuff like that. And then I'm listening to him say this and I'm like, how could he possibly think this? Like, how how could he possibly believe that? And then sure enough, it fades and it says that that. Um, that that special debuted, like, I want to say that afternoon. And then, like, later that day, he committed suicide and killed himself. And it was like, man, you know, it, it just kind of really put yeah. in perspective that he knew what he did. You know, he knew and that guilt and everything like that. And that was also, I think, great foreshadowing in the film, that nightmare that Lakeith or William has whenever he's like, I'm not the rat, I'm not the rat. And then his, and then in the dream, he shoots himself. He, it's him dressed as uh, oh, yeah. in that FBI disguise. 
and he shoots himself lying, saying, I'm not the rat. I'm not the rat. And I thought that that was very poetic how they did that. Like that dream just was almost like foreshadowing that this is this man's fate. You know, ultimately he does end himself. But at the same time, look what he did for the the for his race. He ended what could have been a a prominent figure for his race, too. So it's almost like he ended himself in two ways, right? Like there's this this whole infiltration and being this Judas and tipping off the FBI and this helping with this conspiracy to kill Fred Hampton. Not only does it wind up being the end of him because he commits suicide, in a way, he's also destroying his people. So it's like a, a double suicide in a way. And I just thought that mm. that was very poetic, but it was also just um, a, a, a gut blow, uh, if you will. It just makes you think about that two ways, you know, and just how sometimes our actions, what we're doing to hurt our own people, you know. And stuff like that. And even though it destroys you, it almost it's almost like it destroys more than you at the end of the day. What he did anyway, what uh, William did in this whole uh, story with Fred Hampton. So, yeah, I just thought that I would uh, speak on those things and just some of the thoughts that I had definitely towards the end of the film. Heather, what about you? I think it is definitely pretty clear that this movie has a lot of layers to it. Um, it. There's just something to take away in pretty much every scene of this movie, which is why it's just such a brilliantly told story. And I mean, and I, I do kind of, I, I agree, Jason, too, that there was that part in the movie towards the end when um, Fred Hampton is, you know, with all of his friends. And it's literally that scene, like when... Um, O'Neill is about to poison him. And, you know, he's just talking about all these things of like, no, don't worry about me. Like, that doesn't matter. I don't care about that. Like, I want to know what we can do to help these people. That scene, I think it really is just the epitome of Fred Hampton's character and, and who Fred Hampton was. And I'm just, I'm so glad that they put that in the movie because it, I feel like that's that's the that was a selling point for me. Like if you didn't know it up to that point, just that whole thing of like, you know, he he clearly knows that he's being watched. He clearly knows that people are after him at this point and everybody wants to help him. You know, they want to help their fearless leader. And he's like, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Like do whatever they want to do to me. But like, you know, we, we need to help these people. We need to help each other. And it was a really such a powerful moment too. And like probably even more of a gut punch for O'Neill's character at that moment, like to be like, great, I'm just about to kill this dude or help kill this dude who like clearly just wants to help the people, you know? Um, yeah. And I just think, like you said too, I mean, O'Neill, um, that character is just the torment that he, he must've felt in so many ways. And I think Lakeith Stanfield did such a, beautiful job of just showing that internal conflict that he he felt you know and like sterling was saying earlier like you know his eyes are doing this thing but his body's doing something else like just really 
like playing on the fence of this and it he just he does it so seamlessly and so beautifully because i mean talk about a relatable character like not in the sense of like okay yeah pay me off i'm gonna kill this guy who's gonna change the world but like in the sense of like you you realize in the middle of something terrible that you have made a mistake about like there's just that internal conflict of like i wish i could take this back like this is not at all what i thought that it was going to be and this isn't what i want and just seeing that that change in him and seeing that conflict that he is feeling every single moment that he gets closer to the time when he needs to do what he needs to do and i just think that he man he is so good at doing that in this movie and like just really just you, you see what he's feeling um in every possible way and it's it's just so good and even i mean and we kind of talked a little bit about um who was it? Roy Mitchell, um, Jesse Plemons. I mean, he did a great job too, though, of showing like kind of how corrupt the government was being, you know, like just how manipulative he was with uh, O'Neill and just how he was just like, oh, I saw you up there when he was giving his speech and, and you were following along and it seemed like you actually believed it, like just really trying to manipulate him to to make him prove that he wasn't going to fail this thing that they were going to have him do. And it's, man, it was just so just conniving and manipulative. And he was just a very calm, even keeled man. And you, you know, but that was kind of the menacing thing about him is he was just, you know, very threatening in his words, but a very calm demeanor, but he just did that so well too. And, I just think that every every aspect of just the types of people and their mindsets who were involved with this whole thing, they were all kind of shown on screen. Like everybody was kind of represented there and, and whatever side you're taking and whatever types of emotions you felt about what was going on, it was all represented. And I mean, just that scene too at the end when they actually come in and Hampton is assassinated like just can you imagine how like his girlfriend uh, this is pregnant girlfriend who gave birth what like a month later I mean just having to see all of that go down hearing it happen and she gets to hear like these last words that these cops say to her or to say about him, you know, they're like, he's nothing, you know, just like, well, he's uh, definitely dead now or whatever it was that they said. And just like how haunting that must be for her. You know, it just, man, it really just kind of hits you right in the gut with all of it. And for, you know, rightfully so. And in the ways that it should, like it should stir you and it should wake you up and it should make these things uncomfortable for you so that you realize the importance of it. And I just think that this job, this movie does such a good job of that the whole way through. Um, And it just, yeah, I mean, it's just such a well-told and well-crafted story that they've told. And, um, and you're right. I think it is inspiring. And again, too, yeah, like just the kind of crazy haunting (laughs) element of, 
um, O'Neill, the real O'Neill, and like just that weight that he had on him and he just couldn't take it anymore, you know, and that 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 footage was really, um, you know, that that was really gripping. So it, and I'm I'm kind of glad they showed it, though, you know, to show the real him and, you know, what he said in his own words. So um, and it was yeah, that was something else. And then the the facts that they were giving at the end of the movie about like this case that they did, the Hampton family, the case that they brought against, you know, the police department and all these things. Twelve years that went on for 12 years and it was settled yeah. for what under 2 million. I'm like, what? Yeah. Like it's, that was crazy too. And just how much of a battle this is. And it's like, <laughs> it shouldn't be that way. It shouldn't take this long to prove like that a life like this is worth more and that it's a bigger deal. And just because you're the government or the police or whatever, that we're not, we're kind of making it not seem like what it actually was, you know, and obviously that continues sometimes today. So I just was like, what? 12 years? That's insane that that would take that long. But I mean, just hearing all of that, you know, it's, it's kind of a wake up call in a sense, you know, um, of just how far maybe that we have come, but also how far we haven't really come, <laughs> you know? And it's sad, but it is kind of a wake up call for sure. So, um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just a very, very, um, it, the movie does its job. Let's just say that it really does its job of making you think. And even what Sterling was saying about like, you know, these are the things that it stirs up in me when I, you know, hear about them or watch this stuff. It's like, it's doing its job. It's really, it's doing its job by getting the word out there about these stories and making you kind of a call to action sort of kind of mentality when you watch it. You're inspired by it. So I think it's a very, very beautiful movie. Well, I'm not going to say much more because I know I'm going to get fired up. And I'm probably going to end up going about Ronald Reagan <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff from this time period that like a movie like this, like just brings out of me. Like those feelings are always there, but it just kind of amplifies it. Um do you guys have any more thoughts about this movie, though, other than it's just really fucking good? <laughs> nope. No, I'm good, man. All right. Well, on that note, thank you guys for listening to this episode of the Cinema Slayers podcast. Check us out on the internet at www.cinemaslayers.com or Facebook, where we're Cinema Slayers podcast, or Twitter and Instagram with cinema underscore slayers. Uh, if you can, leave us a five-star rating and review. That really helps us out if you do so. And... We just really appreciate it. Um, yeah, other than that, guys, you know, just remember, according to Justin, Moon Knight is the best picture winner. Somebody will listen to me. Nobody knows uh, I don't know what to do for this. If it feels like it'd be disingenuous right. to do something silly. Yeah. So... Cinema Slayers. So I'm just going to end it with, I am a revolutionary. I am a revolutionary. Say, I am a revolutionary. There, I'm out. Well, see, that's better than what I thought you were going to do, which would be just like to yell Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs>